0: Welcome to episode four of the History Quine podcast with me, Jonah-Jane Brown of Hidden Aberdeen Tours. Now, this week's podcast, I'm looking into some urban legends of Aberdeen. And some of you might have heard these stories before, either on a tour or when I've done my urban legends talk. So we begin in guest row in Rags Lane, which was laid out in the 18th century. It was named after the owner of the land, a bailey rag, and it ran directly parallel with Queen Street. And The numbers 35 and 35 and a half belonged to a George Russell, who was the son of William Russell and Helen Fowler. He was the fifth child of eight. His father was a confectioner and bookseller and had his own circulating library. Now, apparently, according to the legends, one of Russell's tenants at number 35, Joseph Faulkner, operated a bakery. It was said that Faulkner was issued with a notice of eviction by the council and said that couldn't continue to operate a bakery and sell foodstuffs within the proximity of a sewer, which was, say, on the gastro side of Rags Lane. Now, obviously, George Russell, being the owner of the property, he was furious that uh, his tenant was being thrown out. And he was absolutely convinced that the person that had reported him was none other than his neighbour across the road, James Stephen, an ironmonger. Uh, The two of them constantly had an issue with each other. And Stephen's shop was directly facing the properties that George Russell actually owned. Now, James Stephen, he had previously worked with an ironmonger at the same site called William Ross, and he was at number 34 Broad Street, directly across the road since 1840. But before that, Ross had worked at number 30 since 1827. So we're talking quite a long time, about 40 years by the time this story happens. Now, George's father, William, the confectioner, he had been in business since even before William Ross. He had a business since 1824. He had shops at 19 Broad Street, which was the bookseller, 28 Union Street, which was a bakery, and number 38 Upper Kirkgate, which was a confectioner and sweet shop. The family actually lived at number 4 D Street. Now, I had a look into this, and true enough, George Russell is recorded as the owner of 35 and a half Broad Street, which basically... That was the corner of Rags Lane looking across Broad Street down to Queen Street. He's recorded as the owner in the 1865 valuation roll. And the story goes that George decided to get revenge on James Stephen because George himself was known as a sculptor and he created a hideous gargoyle which he placed at the corner of his shop wall which glowered across at Stephen's property. This was about 1862 because there were no more bakers at number 35 after that date. So for about the next 20 years, James Stephen was still trading. Up until 1880, when he disappears from the records. So for 20 years, apparently he had to look at this gargoyle which was glowering across of him. I th- I have actually first found this story in Bernard Balfour's book, Secrets, Stones, and Stories of Aberdeen. Now, Bernard Balfour was a well-known history teacher in Aberdeen, and he was also one of the presenters on a TV programme, an Al Grampian TV programme called The Way It Was. And This is one of the stories that he had told at the time and I also checked that Diane Morgan repeated the story and she actually had a few other elements to it and said that oh no it wasn't George Russell that had actually designed it it was somebody else and it was a design feature to attract people to come to their property. Well I'm afraid that Diane Morgan has that completely wrong and it seems, well, most of the characters in the story that are named by the legend, they did exist. Falconer, the baker, did exist. But he was not one of George Russell's tenants. He was actually there just before George Russell bought the property from the previous owner, who would have been Falconer's landlord, in 1864. Now, George Russell, apart from being a sculptor, he actually made his money from owning property and the rental from these properties. Quite a few of the shops he had were licensed grocers and you can actually see in old newspapers uh, he backing up his tenants when they apply for a license to sell alcohol from their shops. It was 1864, which is, say, two years after Faulkner ...stopped working as a baker at number 35, 35 and a half Broad Street. So, that property that looked across to number 34... ...which of course was James Stevens' ironmongery... ...was an alehouse. I found out round about the time... ...that George was wanting to make the alehouse into a hotel. Obviously, they had a bar, they had a restaurant but he wanted to have permission to make the rest of the half-house into a hotel and a main entrance onto Broad Street because he actually was calling the place, the Broad Street Hotel. He actually didn't have the licence to run it as a hotel at the time. So he appealed by the licensing board, but he was still refused. Now, I'm beginning to wonder... If that was the real reason that he made the gargoyle and if Stephen the Ironmonger was actually on the licensing board and was the one that maybe carried the vote against him twice, maybe he didn't want a hotel across the road from him. But what is absolutely hilarious is that there were about nine pubs between the guest side and the Broad Street side in that period of time. Nine, nine altogether of licensed premises, either wee lounges in folks' front rooms that they had licensed to sell ale, that's what you call a porter house or an actual pub or shop that sold wine and spirits. As far as I know, that might be the reason why that he designed the sculpture. I do know that he was a very well-known sculptor and was actually commissioned to make uh, memorial busts and things for famous people in the city. But what I found out later on is that he clashed with the authorities again, not very far from his home in D Street. Up in Crown Street, he had a property and at that property, it would seem that George Russell wasn't too careful about one particular tenant that kept pouring things down the drains and there was enough a stink from the drains and the drain had got blocked and he was hauled up before the council and asked to do something about this mess and been told several times to do something but he never had and then the rest of the tenants complained and said hey this is not good enough our landlord's not cleaning the drains so, he was going to get fined, and I think they did actually fine him, and then he went and sorted it out then. So, it's rather interesting. Now, that gargoyle, gargoyle's real, still exists. The next time you're in Marshall Square, just go to the corner of Provost Keane's house, just beside the side door of Mackey's ice cream parlour, and you'll see the gargoyle. It used to be a bit further up in Provost Keane's house, uh, obviously after the 1930s, the front of Broad Street was knocked down, Lane disappeared. And that's why the gargoyle had to be moved. So obviously people thought it was significant, the fact that he was a good sculptor, it meant that they wanted to keep it. So there it is. There is the story. And you think, oh, he must have been quite a grumpy manny. Well, actually, he wasn't that bad because it would seem that... He and some of his sisters never got married and they also, sisters, owned property as well. Now his sister Helen, she had said to him, she made a deal with him, that in her will she wanted to start up a fund and he had to agree to do the same in his own will, set up a fund to help the scavengers and constables of the city. Now, scavengers, of course, is the correct medieval name for refuse collectors. That's why we call them scafies to this day. Now, what was the connection between Scaffees and police? Well, they were all employed by the police commission. The police commission in Aberdeen was actually founded in 1798 by John Ewan, of course, very well known for being the man that pushed Union Street to get built. He was a folklorist and he's also involved in... The whole backstory of the slaughter of Downey, which we'll cover in a separate podcast and so if you go into st nick's kirkyard and you can actually see george russell's grave it's a quite an interesting gravestone it's flat on the ground the stone and then there's a curved almost like a curved roof on it and it's got his name and his sister helen's name and this story that they had this fund for the Scaffies and the policemen. And that fund, according to my ex-boss Ian Wallace of Grampian Police, as was, that fund was still in existence up until very recently. And Raymond Mack, who ran the Police Welfare Association, he and Ian had actually seen about handing over the fund to Aberdeenshire Council for maintenance, I assume, because obviously when Police Scotland was created, did a web Grammy in police, and of course the money was only supposed to be for city police officers, so there we go. That's what happened. So George Russell wasn't as bad as he actually made out, and that is the story of the gargoyle on the side of Proviskeen's house. Now, another story and it's one that gets bandied about a lot, is Hitler wanted Marshall College for his palace if and when, according to him, he invaded Britain. And that's why the Luftwaffe never fired on Marshall College, apparently. Now, this was fairly easy myth to explode because it really was a legend that was about by one david p webster webster was actually a teacher done his teacher training in aberdeen and again another legend about hitler of course is an older legend which old folk uh, used to bandy about was oh hitler was a house painter apparently webster put the legend in print uh, that he was aware that this was the case, that uh, Hitler greatly admired Marshall College and he didn't want it to be damaged. So, let's expose these two myths altogether. First of all, Hitler never studied architecture and he didn't actually get to art college either. Even though he was actually a fairly good artist. Yeah, Adolf Hitler. the leader of the Third Reich. He was a fairly good artist. He'd put in a portfolio to the Academy of Arts in Vienna, because, of course, he was Austrian by birth, as we know. Twice he ended up rejected from this Academy of Arts in uh, Vienna, and this was in 1907 and 1908. But what was interesting is the Academy of Arts, they said he wouldn't make a painter, but they recommended that he should go and study architecture because they felt that his buildings showed some promise in their architectural style. However, he never got to go to architecture school either. And this is from his own diary, Hitler's own diary. He wrote at the time about this rejection. One could not attend the Academy's architectural school without having attended the building school at the Technic, and the latter required a high school degree. I had none of this. The fulfilment of my artistic dream seemed physically impossible. So, that was a big letdown, I would think, for a young man that wanted to go to art school or even go to architectural school, because he just wasn't smart enough. Wow! So it's actually unlikely that a young man living in Vienna in the beginning of the 20th century would ever have seen Marshall College. It, he would never even heard of it, let alone seen it. Because Alexander Marshall Mackenzie, the designer, was exclusively Aberdonian. He didn't design buildings anywhere outside of Scotland, let, well, let alone Aberdeen. So, I really don't think he would have known of the college's existence, unless because of it being lauded as the second biggest granite building in the world, which it still actually is. So, as I say, Marshall built, year before Hitler's first rejection from the Vienna Academy. And, as I said, art was his first love, not architecture. Now, David Webster, the one who wrote the story about Hitler, Fancy and Marshall, he did study in Aberdeen. He went to the TC, to the training college, Northern College of Education. And he actually went on, I think, to also be a journalist. But either he accepted as gospel this story he'd been told while he was at teaching college and didn't bother try and uncover the backstory to this myth, he just accepted it. Or being a bit of a cheeky person, he decided he would just make it up because Marshall was such an iconic building and Hitler such a rather frightening character. And of course because Aberdeen had suffered such heavy bombing, particularly in 1941 and 1943. So no Hitler never specifically told the Luftwaffe to not bomb Marshall because he probably didn't know of its existence. He might have known from the maps that spies had gathered that there was a college there, but I doubt very much he knew what it looked like. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's looking into some urban legends of Aberdeen. We're going to have a couple more next week. So, for now, from me, Fiona Jane Brown, goodbye!